Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure, Take with, the adventure us. with us. With us. With us. With us. With us. With us. And welcome, everyone, to the 34 Circe Salon. This is uh, the Parallax broadcast where we explore all vast and sundry issues that are intriguing us in our world. We're going to talk today about classics. This is going to be our series on classical studies. And who better to guide us on that journey through the classics than our old pal, the real-life Indiana Jones, Dr. Gary Stickle. Hi, Gary. Hi, good to be with you again. A light smattering of applause for you. So today we're talking the Iliad. So this is just kind of an introductory, like an introductory lesson if you were taking in a college course. So this will be the classic, classic history 101. Um, and we're going to talk about just the setting, the background for the Iliad before we get deeper into the story. So Gary, just, can you set it up for us? Can you tell us what the history was behind the story, the, the history underneath this tale, the, what was real about it, and, uh, and a little bit about the man to whom the authorship has been attributed, uh, Homer. Yeah, I'm glad to, because um, <clears throat> I love these epics. I've been reading them ever since I was a little child, the Iliad and the Odyssey. <clears throat> Excuse me, my <clears throat> my parents bought me a beautiful illustrated edition of both um, for children, and it, it entranced me, and then it led me to read the original many, many times. Um, the Iliad is the story of the Trojan War, which was the most famous war of ancient times, uh, worldwide. It's the most famous mm -hmm. ancient war uh, in the entire world. Um and it's a story that most scholars believe uh, that it actually happened and it took place about 1200 BC uh, mm -hmm. to, to 1250 BC. There's different uh, opinions on that. Um, so over 3000 years ago. Yes. And the thing is, basically what it is, is the Greeks, uh, whom Homer called the Achaeans, not the Greeks, but the Achaeans from uh, basically mainland Greece, um, uh, raised a huge army, uh, allegedly uh, a thousand ships, and sailed to Troy to destroy it. And uh, this was allegedly, well, according to uh, Homer's Iliad, um, uh, the reason was, the ostensible reason was that uh, uh, Paris, a prince of Troy, came to Sparta and either abducted or she willingly went with him, uh, the, the queen of Sparta, Helen, uh -huh. and took her to Troy. And this was an affront to uh, her, uh, her husband and king, Menelaus or Menelaus. Um, <clears throat> so he went to his brother, Agamemnon, who was not the king of all Greece, but he was a high king, sort of like the King Arthur of ancient Greece at the time, where, uh, you know, he uh, was the most powerful of, of all the kings of Greece. 
So he called all the kings of Greece to come together to form an army to go and, uh, and, and destroy Troy. So the story goes, they, they sailed to Troy and engaged in a siege that took 10 years to happen. Okay, let me let me stop you there. Yeah. So that's the setup. That that's what we know, and we'll get into it a little bit more about the the story, the tale. Do historians think? What do historians think was the reason for this battle? So there, most historians agree. Now you say that this did happen. There was a conflict between the people on the the Greek Peninsula and the people in Anatolia, what today is modern day Turkey. So most historians believe that. What do they believe caused this conflict? Well, I think most uh, historians today would say it wasn't about Helen, if she ever existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was about um, uh, taking Troy out, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, because Troy was located very strategically at the entrance to the uh, Hellespont, which is the waterway between the Aegean Sea and the Black Sea, mm-hmm. and uh, and so, uh, in other words, uh, Troy controlled all the ship traffic, and the Greeks had colonies around the Black Sea, which were uh, mentioned in Jason and the Argonauts story in the in the Golden Fleece, uh, <clears throat> and um, and so I I think. The uh, Trojans were charging a fee to go, go through, you know, their 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 opening, you know, to the waterway. Um, and, of course, uh, money, and money. It's money which motivates, you know, many wars, and uh, so they wanted to take out Troy for, you know, uh, as a economic rival, so that uh, Agamemnon and the Greeks would totally dominate that part of the world. Right. So that's the historical basis of the, what historians believe is the basis for it. And so we have also this, the basis in the tale, which is Helen. So let's let, let's hear a little more about her and what that was about. Why why was Paris, this is the person uh, from the Trojans, who in the story is either abducted Helen or seduced Helen, however you want to put it, What's the relationship? What's Paris about? What's Helen about? Why was it such a thing for him to go get her? Let's let us hear. Tell us about that. <clears throat> well, according to the legend, um, Helen, uh, excuse me, Paris. Well, I'll, I'll first go with Helen. Uh, Helen was uh, her her father was Zeus, and and her mother was a mortal woman. And so she was a demigod in a sense, if you you know mm-hmm. agree with the mythology. <clears throat> um, but um, other people think she was had to human uh, you know parents, but uh, which is probably the case if she existed, of course. Um, whereas uh, Paris was the son of King Prime and Queen Hecuba of Troy, and uh, actually. His birth was foretold by uh, his sister, his older sister, Cassandra. And mm-hmm. she prophesied that if they let Paris live, that he would bring about the downfall and destruction of Troy and the killing of all the Trojans. So she urged them to kill the, the, the baby Paris. 
So when he was born, initially Priam listened to her and um, sent her, uh, sent the baby with uh, a trusted um, servant called Agelaus. And, and he went down to Mount Ida area where he was from. And he was going to kill the baby. But then when he looked at the baby, he just couldn't uh, kill it. And, you know, he didn't have the heart to do it. Uh, now, the baby was called Alexandros, not Paris, mm -hmm. by the king and queen of Troy. Interestingly, Alexander the Great, his name is Alexandros, named after Paris, of all people. Uh, Interesting. Even, okay. Even though uh, Alexander the Great identified with Achilles, the great hero of the Greeks, uh, the greatest warrior in the world, not not with Paris. But anyhow, um, Agelaus, according to the myth, uh, called the baby Paris so that he wouldn't be identified as the son of the king and queen of Troy, so he'd be killed. And uh, apparently Paris means uh, a, a carrying bag that a person has on him to carry things in. like a. Okay, so he named him a, a carry bag. Okay, Yeah, I mean, they, they uh, refer to it as a purse, but it's bigger than what we think purses are. It's big enough to carry a baby. Um, <clears throat> so I, I prefer to call it a carrying bag. But anyhow, he raises Paris up to be a, a, stra a strapping young man, very buff, and he was a cowboy. He, uh, he herded cows on Mount Ida. <clears throat> and then as a uh, myth goes, three goddesses came to him, led by Hermes, the messenger of the gods and guide of the gods. And it was... Uh, uh, Hera, the queen of the gods, Athena, the goddess of wisdom and defensive war, and Aphrodite, the goddess of love. So supposedly, and this has been depicted in paintings, you know, ancient Greece-based paintings, and especially in the Renaissance and so on, uh, innumerable times, it's called the Judgment of Paris. Oh, very famous name, right. And so the three goddesses, um, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, try to, uh, they demand that he tells them which one is the most beautiful. And, uh, and Paris uh, realizes that whichever one he chooses, the other two will hate him and it could be, uh, you know, terrible for him. So why did they pick him to do this? Do we know why Paris was chosen as the person well, to choose? Well, according to leg legend, it was doomed to be, you know. That, oh, it was just fated that they would cut, they'd corner yeah. him and say, hey, Faded because he was the son of the king and queen of Troy, and he would lead to the downfall of Troy. So they corner him and say, who's the hottest? Which one of us? Yeah, so in other words, the, uh, you know, the Greeks believed in these goddesses called the fates. Mm -hmm. So the, the legend would credit the fates with uh, Paris' life and, and uh, what happened. So um, Hera offers them uh, Asia to rule and, and riches and stuff. And uh, uh, Athena offers him to be the wisest man and ever victorious in war. But Aphrodite offers him the most beautiful woman in the world, which turns out to be Helen of Sparta. And, and so, you know, being a, uh, you know, a normal young man, he chooses the most beautiful woman and gives her, uh, Hermes gave him a golden apple to uh, award whichever goddess, you know, <clears throat> he chose with a golden apple. They call it the Apple of Discord, it's a famous name. Mm -hmm. And he gives a golden apple to Aphrodite, 
and then Hera and Athena go off to plot the, the destruction of Troy. They, they side with the Greeks. Apples giving people so much trouble in the ancient world. <laughs> yes. And so Paris, uh, to find his fate, goes to Troy. And there, you know, he engages in these uh, sporting events that the ancient Greeks called uh, games. And, uh, you know, like the Olympic Games, which are sporting right. events. <clears throat> and yes. uh, <clears throat> unlike the movie Troy, which I recently saw again, the one with Brad Pitt about year 2000, um, mm-hmm. they they had this Orlando Bloom portray Paris, and he's kind of a girly man, to be honest, uh, you know, weak in stature and then uh, behavior. Um, whereas Paris is supposed to be a buff cowboy, you know, and so buff that when he engaged in these uh, <clears throat> games, he defeated everybody in different sports, including boxing, and even defeated Hector, his brother, the chief defender of Troy, and son of King Priam and Queen Hecuba. He even defeated him in boxing. So he wasn't this girly man at all. He was a very buff guy, but a very, as all Homer's characters were, he's a very complex character. So what was what was the complication about? So he's this, he's this buff athlete, strong guy. What was the, the the aspect to his character that was unusual or or made distinctive? Let's say that well, Homer. <clears throat> <to him? clears throat> well, um, he um, he turns out to be a coward, and you wouldn't wow, think okay. you wouldn't think so. But Homer's characters are all complex, and so um, you know when when the Greeks arrive at, at Troy and they're all. Uh, marching up to battle the Trojans, as was the case in Bronze Age Greece, you know, the the Trojans didn't hide behind their walls. They went out honorably onto the field before Troy to fight him outside. Mm-hmm. And as Homer describes, uh, Paris got caught up in the moment. And uh, so he steps out, according to Homer, looking like a god, wearing a leopard skin cape and so on. And he boldly challenges any Greek to a duel, and he says, um, whoever wins the duel will get Helen and get riches, but thousands of uh, men don't have to die over this, and the city of Troy doesn't have to be destroyed over it. Uh, they can decide by the single combat, and, and then whoever wins gets riches, and uh, or in the case of the Trojans, they keep their riches, and the Greeks go home. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so the, the person that responds on the Greek side is Menelaus, because he feels, you know, he's cuckolded by Paris, and uh, which insulted not just him, but you know the the, the house of Sparta, you know his king, right. his kingdom, because she was the queen of uh, Sparta. So Homer says he comes rushing at uh, Paris like the god of war himself, Ares. And he, he's so intimidating looking that Paris uh, cowardly backs into the ranks of the of the Trojans behind their ranks, behind their shields. And that causes what's called a famous rebuke of Hector, who rebukes him for being a coward. Boy. And he says, you know, Paris, are you only good for pretty girls to run after? Well, well the, the Greeks must be roaring now with laughter. So that, I mean, obviously for almost any culture, that would be an incredibly uh, uh, 
uh, act of shame, you know, to see him run away from his uh, opponent. So for the Greeks, I guess, especially so, this would have been something to really frown upon. Absolutely. And so, uh, but what happens is, you know, he responds to Hector's rebuke by agreeing to uh, battle, you know, Menelaus. And and he does so, but he's, he's no match for Menelaus, who's a very uh, trained uh, warrior. Mm-hmm. And Menelaus is, uh, gets the best of him. He's about to kill him. But then, uh, according to the myth, Aphrodite, who just loves Paris because he chose her as the most beautiful, snatches him off, off the battlefield in a mist and puts him in the bedroom with Helen. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's interesting that Helen rebukes him for not fighting it out. Well, it's funny. I mean, he did fight, and then, you know, he was about to he get, did. He get, did. get cut down, and then the goddess pulled him out. Now his uh, his dream girl then cuts him down. So Paris wasn't having a good day that day. <laughs> he didn't have a good day. Absolutely. So we've got Paris. We've got Helen. Let's, let's, uh, and have you said a little more about Helen? Could we say a little, little more about what her deal was? So she's a demigoddess. She's the most beautiful, most beautiful gal in the world, right? Yes. Uh, Queen of Sparta. Is there anything else about her we should know? Well, it's, it's <clears throat> apparently she didn't have a good relationship with Menelaus. And so when this handsome young man shows up at the palace, um, she, you know, she just instantly falls in love with him. Uh, I mean, that's the way I, I interpret it. So I don't think she was caught abducted. I think she willingly went. And then, um, you know, uh, like I said, her character is complex as all of Homer's characters. So there's a touching scene where uh, King Priam and her are on the parapets, the walls of Troy, and they're looking at the advancing Greek army. And Priam asks her to identify who Agamemnon is, who Odysseus is, who Ajax is, who Menelaus is. Mm -hmm. And she does all this. And then she she offers, she says, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to bring a terrible tragedy on your city and uh, thousands of you will die. She offers to go back to Menelaus and spare everybody. Right. And 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 uh, and King Priam, to show how noble he is, refuses it. And he says, you're not you're not the true cause of this war. The, The gods will it. And uh, in essence, it's Agamemnon who wants to destroy Troy as an economic inhibitor to him dominating the, uh, the the whole area, you know, the Ge- greater Aegean area of the world there. Right. <clears throat> and, and, and it's interesting to, to have that character prime with that level of wisdom. You know, as you, like you say, Homer has some very rich and complex characters. So Priam sees that, one, it's not this woman who's the cause of it, which is interesting for the ancient world because women were blamed for so many things, yes. uh, so many ills, and he does not. And also that he sees that there was no way the the river of fate and destiny was flowing in that way. So that they were just going to end up in that battle. And he, he shows his incredible kindness to Helen because he could have easily agreed right. with her and put her out the gates of Troy. <clears throat> but I... I don't think that would have stopped Agamemnon. He would have taken her back, but still attacked Troy. Right, right. So we have that. We have Helen. 
Um, can you tell us some of the other principal characters we've, uh, and some of the gods as well? So let's start with the, the mortals. So uh, maybe a little more about Priam, a little more about Agamemnon and Achilles, those folks. Well, as I said, Menelaus was motivated by uh, wanting justice because he abducted his wife and queen. You know, he was he felt insulted as the house of Sparta the kingship was insulted, you know, by what happened. But uh, I think what motivated Agamemnon was, like I said, the uh, taking out an economic barrier to the Greeks dominating the whole part of the world there economically with trade and so on. So um, he had a convenient excuse to make war on a... Uh, on a rival. Uh, a rival, right. And uh, <clears throat> so and Agamemnon, um, he had the most ships. Uh, Homer, in, in the third chapter book of the Iliad enumerates, it's called the Catalog of Ships, and it turns out that uh, Agamemnon had the most at 100 ships, um, whereas um, uh, Odysseus, who's a minor king, but yet very important to the story, uh, had only 12 ships, a sacred number, by the way. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, uh, uh, you know, that Agamemnon is depicted as arrogant, throughout the uh, Iliad. And he also, to insult uh, Achilles, the, the great warrior hero, the greatest of the Greeks, he uh, steals his concubine, his love slave, uh, Briseis, um, and, um, <clears throat> and, and be because of this, uh, Achilles is insulted. He, he views it as a uh, a great insult to him that he would that Agamemnon would take something that honorably belongs to him if you consider abducting a woman as a sex slave to be honorable you know which apparently right. well, this is, again the, the sensibilities of the ancient world first say more about Achilles first so for <clears> the <throat> listeners who are not familiar with him I might think most people know I've heard of Achilles but just in case well Achilles um, according to the myth um was uh, also a demigod, mm -hmm. and he was um, the, uh, the son of uh, Zeus and uh, Theseus. Uh, uh, no, excuse me, not son of Zeus. He was the son of the, the goddess uh, Theseus. It's going to be not Theseus, um, Thetis, T-H-E-T-I-S, right. sorry. Right. Um, Theseus was a was a guy who had his own journeys. He he's a central character of, of Homer's Iliad. Mm -hmm. Achilles he, is yes, and his name right. um, uh, may be of Mycenaean origin, and uh, if if it is, it means a grief to the army. <laughs> That's and, interesting because he is he is indeed right the greatest warrior of all Greece. Of correct, all the Greeks. Yes, yes. Right. But they say a grief to the army is what his name means. Yes. Why do you think that is? That's a strange Well, because, duality, uh, right? because in the Iliad it's appropriate because after Agamemnon steals his love slave, he refuses to fight. And in Homer, if your hero refuses to fight, you don't win. It doesn't many, matter how many thousands of men you have. If your mm -hmm. hero doesn't fight, you, you start losing. 
And that's that's what happens to the Greeks when the Achilles doesn't fight. And so there's a whole scene where Odysseus orchestrates a so-called embassy to Achilles and, and offers him bribes and everything if he'll come back and fight and everything. But Achilles is so upset that he refuses to do it. Um, he only does it when um, uh, Achilles' best friend Patroclus uh, goes to fight against Hector and the Greeks who are attacking the ships and trying to burn the ships of the Greeks. They almost succeed in doing that. Mm -hmm. um, a scene that's pretty well shown in the movie Troy, by the way. Um, and uh, so Achilles doesn't want to do it, but uh, Patroclus talks him into using his armor to uh, represent Achilles. And when the Greeks think that Achilles is actually leading them back into battle, the, you know, their morale raises and they drive Hector and the, and the uh, Trojans back within the walls of Troy. But then Patroclus, uh, according to the myth, gets carried away and he tries to climb the walls of Troy to uh, kill Hector. And supposedly three times, another sacred number three, he tries to climb the wall of Troy and three times the god Apollo, the guide of light, music, and poetry, pushes him back down again. And well, you've said sacred number a couple of times. Why don't you tell the listener what you mean by a sacred number? Uh, I have a thesis. Uh, I've, I've written a research paper on it, and I actually have recently got an offer to publish it, that Homer embedded in his epics, the Iliad and Odyssey, sacred numbers, a number of them, of which number 12 is the most prominent. As mm -hmm. I mentioned, uh, Odysseus had 12 ships uh, in, in sailing the to uh, Troy. And in the latter part, um, when Patroclus is killed by Hector, uh, he, uh, uh, Achilles, his best friend, and according to uh, one of the Greek playwrights, he was a lover of, uh, you know, of, of Patroclus, you know, because mm -hmm. Greeks were ambisexual, <laughs> whatever, you know. Right, right. Um, and, uh, but anyhow, um, when, when Hector kills Patroclus, uh, Achilles wants revenge. And so that galvanizes him to re-enter the war. And when he does, it eventually ends with the, the climax of, of the Iliad with him having a faithful duel with Hector in front of the gates of Troy. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that part of the Iliad uh, in later episodes. Yes. Let's go. Let's go to, so we've got, Achilles, Agamemnon, Menelaus, Paris, Helen. Let's hear about uh, perhaps Hector and any, uh, if, if there's another character who is important in this particular part of the saga. So okay, what was our, Hector's deal? Um, Hector is, like I said, the son of the king and queen of Troy. He's uh, the oldest son and uh, the main defender of Troy. So basically, when he lives, um, you know, Troy will will uh, stand. When he falls, mm -hmm. that leads to the downfall of Troy. Right. And so, uh, you know, Achilles is the best warrior in the world. He's better than Hector. They have a hell of a fight, which is pretty well shown in the movie Troy, by the way. Um, but eventually, Achilles kills him. And then Achilles, who is just, uh, you know, doesn't behave honorably by the code of the time, 
because uh, he's supposed to give the body back and uh, have it uh, given the proper burial treatments and, and burial ceremonies. Um, he, uh, he disrespects the body by stripping Hector of his armor, stripping him naked, and then he drags the mind his chariot around the walls of Troy, you know, to show his revenge that he completed it. Wow, that's horrific. You can it's, imagine it's, a father's... It's horrific, and it's been depicted yeah. on ancient bases to modern paintings, uh, you know, many times. I mean, it's uh, it's horrific. And uh, and that's why uh, Achilles is a flawed, you know, complex character. And then one more character I'll mention is King Priam in my remaining time here. Uh, King Priam, like I said, is very honorable and so on. Mm-hmm. And after Achilles kills uh, Hector, he drags him around the walls of Troy, like say in the dust, and then he keeps him under his uh, bed, like in his uh, in his lodge or tent. And uh, but the body doesn't decay because the uh, uh, the gods are preserving Hector's body, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And so King Priam shows up unexpectedly at, at Achilles' lodge and enters into it. And uh, Achilles is, is shocked of the bravery of this old man. And like in the uh, one of the best scenes of the movie Troy, Peter O'Toole portrays Priam, I think, in a great way. And it's a very yeah, it's t- touching scene, Amazing. you know, that he begs for the body. He goes in, and this is actually part of the myth, he, he kisses the hands of Achilles, and he says, I do what no man in history has ever done. I kiss the hands of the man who killed my son. Wow. So he begs for the body to do the proper burial ceremonies. And Achilles, to show his complexity, because basically he's an arrogant, uh, obnoxious character throughout the Iliad. Uh, He he completely, Homer has him completely changing uh, his attitude. And he hears out and he admires the bravery. He says that, uh, king Priam is a, a better king than the one leading their army, meaning Agamemnon. He can't stand. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he has this, I call it Achilles' uh, uh, speech. Uh, and uh, he gives this long speech and and then agrees to allow King Priam to take Hector's body back to Troy. And, and get this, he says, um, you know, uh, uh, he, he asked for 11 days for the burial ceremonies. And he said, uh, this is King Prime speaking. He says, and, and we will resume fighting on the 12th day if we must. Again, the sacred number 12. Right. Let me ask you, with our, the little time we have left, one more character, and we'll, we'll touch upon the gods and goddesses in the next episode. Uh, Odysseus. Um, we're certainly going to talk about him in the Odyssey which is, bears his name, of course. How does he fit into the Iliad? It's interesting that he's a, a minor king power-wise, and so on. he only has 12 ships, like I say, which is an indicator of his lack of, uh, you know, uh, dominance. But yet he's uh, uh, one of the epithets, these two-word descriptors that Homer uses throughout the Iliad and Odyssey. He's clever, crafty Odysseus. So he's mm-hmm. actually the one that comes up with the idea of the Trojan horse, which uh, Odysseus will lie, steal, and cheat to achieve his ends. He's not a perfect hero by any means. And the Trojan horse, I call it the first stealth machine of history. Um, mm-hmm. 
And uh, so it's a way they, they won the war by hiding men inside this gigantic wooden horse. They left it behind and pretended to sail back to uh, Greece when they didn't. They just went to a nearby island and hid out the, the whole Navy. And then uh, the Trojans thinking that the horse was supposedly a gift to them to honor the goddess Athena, uh, brought the horse inside the city and they danced and partied and drank and blah, blah, blah. And when they all fell drunk and asleep at night, then Odysseus and his commandos, I call them, came out of the horse and they opened the gates of Troy and let in the uh, Greek army. And that was the downfall of Troy, horrible downfall. And they, they led the women into sex slavery. They killed the men. They burnt the city and destroyed it. We'll definitely talk about that. So, so Odysseus is the crafty, sometimes the strategist, the guy coming up with uh, different ways to defeat their rivals. So let's stop at that point, and then we're going to pick it up in the next episode talking about the gods and goddesses that play a role in this. But this has been the first episode in our series on classical studies. Uh, we're covering the Iliad, and we are privileged and pleased to have Dr. Gary Stickle here to help guide us. So thank you, Gary. No, thank you. It's been great. And thank you for everyone listening. This is the 34 Circe Salon, the Parallax. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb, and we will talk to you soon. Take care.